He's so gracious, isn't he? Israel. 
Now in this psalm, it expresses one of the human emotions that everybody here face. Y'all will face it. Maybe some of you are facing it right now. Asaph, the writer again of this psalm, found himself in just this same emotional situation. And the problem that he saw was this. Listen very carefully. Why why do the ungodly prosper and we have such a hard time of it? He looked across the horizon and saw people who were people of means who seemed to have it easier than he had it, who seemed to get what they wanted and get a lot of it. And it bothered him greatly. Listen to verse 1 and 2. He says, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of clean heart. All God's people said, Amen to that. But then comes verse 2. Listen to what it says. But as for me, God's good to Israel, but not to me. As for me, he had a different take. He said, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. What was bothering him? Verse 3. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And it bothered. I don't know, you may have a next-door neighbor who plants flowers and plants vegetables and the deers run right by his property. And they run right to your property. And they eat everything there. You planted Lots of tomatoes, you don't have a one. How many know what I'm talking about? Right? You may have a neighbor who bought an old car and it runs like a new one. And you just put a transmission in yours, a motor in yours, electronic sensor in yours. You had it bad, and they seemed to have it good. That was a problem that Asaph was facing. He says in verse 4 through 12 that these people scoff at God, they oppress others, they criticize God, they're always at ease, 
and they seemed to grow richer every day, verse 12. And it bothered him. His conclusion is found after thinking through these things. In verse 13, he says this, Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. He said, I've kept myself clean. I've kept my heart clean. I lived rightly, and it was all in vain. Amen? He was facing an emotional difficulty and it was causing concern. God is good to Israel even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, I saw the prosperity of the wicked, and it bothered me. They seem to get what they want and get it when they want it. And I have, and I'm a believer, and I have such a hard time of it. It's so hard for me, and for others as I look around that believe what I believe and live like I live. The seeming inequities of life Why isn't the blessing of God to fall upon his children? Doesn't it rest there? If that's true, why do the ungodly prosper? And we have such a hard time of it. Why is that? And from verse 1 to verse 2, God goes from being truly good to being not so good. Now this problem has a twofold effect. Let me give them to you. Number one, it affects our attitude. This is a heart problem, and it affects our attitude. It affected Asaph's attitude in four ways. Number one, in verse two, that attitude can cause us to fall away, to lose faith. Secondly, this attitude can cause you to become envious. Envy is listed as an evil thing. It compares what you have to what you think you deserve. Let me say that again. Envy causes you to compare what you have to what you think you deserve. That's envy. It affects 
our attitude, we can fall away. It affects our attitude, we can become envious. It affects our attitude. We can become bitter. Bitterness is built up angst and anger over, over your view of mistreatment or unfair behavior toward you. It's not fair. How many know life isn't fair? But when it's personalized, it's not fair that they are that way and I am this way. There's an inequity there that affects our attitude. We can become bitter. It affects our attitude. In verse 15, we can cause others to fall. Verse 15 says, If I say I will speak thus, he's thinking this in his head. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. I'd offend all those and I'd cause them the same grief I've got and they would view things the same way I've got. It would cause others to fall if they followed my thinking. So number one, this heart problem affects our attitude. Number two, it affects our view of God. We will question God's will according to verse two. God's good to Israel, he said. Such are as of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. God's not good to me. Good to Israel, but he's not good to me. His attitude about God changed. And he began to question whether what was happening to him was really right. Let me say this. God's sovereign. Amen? He's in charge of everything. Unsaved and saved alike, he's still in charge. And he's going to find out in a very limited amount of time if God was right in everything he did and is doing. So it affects our view of God. We'll question God's will be. We will question God's word. Maybe the Bible isn't right. Why this, this situation isn't at all right. Something's wrong. Bible say God's people will never be seen begging bread? Doesn't the Bible say that God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus? Isn't that in the Bible? Then why? Why, he says, am I facing this? Why am I seeing this? Why is this happening? 
we'll question God's will, we'll question God's word. Thirdly, we will question God's work. What on earth, I'm sure he surmised, what on earth is God doing? He lets the ungodly prosper while his children, while his children struggle. What is God doing? That bother you? Do you face that? Asaph was. Then one fourth thing. We will question God's work. We'll question God's will. We'll question God's word. You'll question God's work. And you'll question God's work. He's not as good to me as I thought. Have you ever thought in your head, I can do this well on my own? Have you ever thought that? You leave God out of the picture because from your viewpoint, it does no good. From your viewpoint, the blessing seems to fall on the godless and seems to miss the mark and not fall on the godless. So you question God's work. He had a heart problem. Amen? But in verses 17 through 24, there's a heart lesson that he had to learn. And we all need to learn it. Heart Heart lessons stop us. They turn us. They guide us. They keep our heart focused properly. In verse 16, he said, When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. I tried to understand it. It just didn't make any sense is what he said. Then we come to verse 17. He said, until something happened. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Listen to this. Then understood I their end. Then I realized their end. How will it all end when it says I then I went into the sanctuary it's not talking about him going to the temple and looking around the whole thought of that is that he approached the temple wanting to commune with God wanting to hear from God wanting to be touched by God in prayer worship in Bible study he wanted God to speak and he wanted to hear him speak 
and God spoke. Because the rest of this psalm tells us what he found out. In fact, he learned four things. You may want to write these down. Number one, in verse 17 it says, Then understood I their end. The thought is, their life, their life ends badly. Well, look at the prosperity they have here on earth. Yeah. But eternity's coming and their life ends badly. You want to know how badly their life ends? Read the 20th chapter of Revelation and you'll find out how badly their life ends. Without Christ, without Christ, they lose. And they lose everything. They will die in their sin and be judged by God Almighty. Now the takeaway from that should be this. Because that's true of them, because that's going to really happen to them, those that do not know Christ, who are not saved, who will not go into eternity, <coughs> excusing, excuse me, knowing him, the takeaway should be, God of heaven, change my viewpoint. Rather than see how prosperous they are, help me to see how lost they are. God, these people are going to die. And when they die without you, they are lost forever. Rather than be angry at God or jealous of the way the prosperity seems to pour out to the unsaved, why don't you respond to them in grace, in love? They're lost. They're lost. They're lost. And if we don't do something, they'll be lost forever. The church should be a great hospital. It opens its door to every sick person in our community. And if they'll not come in, then we need to be visiting doctors. I'll let people say that. What are you doing? People are lost. Paul says, without God, without Christ, and without hope, they're lost. What did he learn? He learned that their life ends badly. 
secondly, he learned, and I think this is important, that every individual, including sinful men, are under the authority of God. They're not under the authority of you. What falls out to them has nothing whatsoever to do with you. How things happen in life is solely the priority of God. The third lesson, according to verse 22, here's the lesson. A heart that questions God is both foolish and ignorant. A heart that questions God is both foolish and ignorant. Read verse 22. A heart that questions God always leads, leads to wrong conclusions. It never leads to right fourth lesson he learned. Though he may not have anything or have what he wants or have what he thinks he ought to have in this life. Someday the silver cord shall break. And I no more as now shall sing but oh the joy when I awake within the palace of the king. Amen psalmist said, I shall awake in thy likeness and be satisfied. Oh, God, forgive us. We have a home going, coming. Amen? Our ending may seem indifferent to them. Your obituary may be on the last page. The moment you close your eyes here, you will open them there and behold the glorious King. What an ending. Verse 25 and following from a single focus that only saw the seeming inequities of life here, he moved to a plural view. I want you to notice verse 25. Whom, I love this verse, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there's none upon earth I desire but thee. Wait a minute. Didn't he feel he was getting a raw deal on earth? Didn't have what he wanted on earth? Now he finally realizes <coughs> it's not about things. It's about God. And if I have God, 
There's nothing else I need. Not a solitary other thing do I need if I have God. And his viewpoint now, rather than what they have compared to what he had, becomes whom I have to what they have. And that's a big difference. Amen? Because when you have God, you have everything. Everything you need. Everything that will help you through your day. When you have God, you have everything. And your viewpoint on earth should be, who do I have but God on earth? There's nothing greater than that. Having God is more valuable, of far greater worth than all the wealth or privilege he so envied in others. He begins right in this verse. He begins with God. He was fixed rightly in his mind. He began with God. If I begin with earthly things by comparison, I will end up wrong every single It becomes what they have to what I want or what I think I should have, and that's the wrong viewpoint. Whom Asaph had compared to what they had, proper view. Proper view. So he compared God to those who had it all, and his earthly view changed and concluded there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. None or nothing that I desire beside thee. What do you desire? told my deacons one time and when I pastored Michigan that I thought it would be good for them to give me a Corvette. All that people said. That night they brought me a little box. And I opened it and it had a Hot Wheels Corvette in it. Boy, I hated that. We don't, should not need a lot of things because we have the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, immutable God of heaven. Whom have I in heaven but thee? 
then in verses 26 and 27, he remembered God's care. I may fail, I may falter, I may foul it up, but God will always be there. Amen? God never leaves us. You heard Pastor say this morning, God never leaves us nor forsakes us. And one third thing he realized, verse 28. I think he understood the consummate good. What is good? It is good, verse 28 says, for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. It is good for me to draw near to God. When you draw near to God, your focus will always be right. When you draw near to God, you're not going to see the inequities in it as inequities. You're going to see those people as lost, as sheep having no shepherd needing Christ. I don't know how many people are in here, 300 maybe, 250. 6,000 people in Lexington alone. I think the majority of them are lost. Suppose only 3,000 were lost. But they have they have everything. No. They don't have the most important thing. They don't have Christ. Without Christ, they're lost. Lost. Wish God had hammered that into our thick heads. They're lost. things and I close. Number one, this psalm should change my outlook. should really give me a different outlook. Number two, this psalm should develop my trust in God's authority who God is and what he does. That should be developed in my life. And number three, it should cause me to claim my provisions in Christ, all God's people said. There's so many things. Read the eighth chapter of Romans, the first 31 verses. You want to know what you get. It's unbelievable. And it's all yours because of Christ. And just to pause, Christians ought to have more fun than the unsaved do any day of the week. Amen? In fact, you ought to have more fun in 30 minutes than they have in a whole year. 
It ought to be fun being saved. Nothing wrong with that. But a guy used to come and give a testimony. By the time he was done, we all wanted to quit church and go do something else. It's the most discouraging thing I ever heard. I wanted to say to him, couldn't you say just one thing good? I mean, everything was bad, falling out to him. You're saved. You're on the right side. You're on God's side. And if you're saved, you should be a joyful, happy Christian. When we see the world, they may appear a certain way, but trust me, there's no joy in their heart because they don't have the joy giver, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to love you. Help us to want to serve you. Help us to stay near to you. Lord, help our focus to be proper. I pray in Jesus' name.